how's the temperature in here? Is it a little chilly or it's getting warmer? It's a big space to heat up. <laughs> but there are blankets in that corner or in the, on the side here if you need one. I'm a little chilly. Hmm. So I, I'd like to start with a Tibetan proverb that I think many of you perhaps have heard uh, before. And that is that everything rests on the tip of one's motivation. Everything rests on the tip of one's motivation. Think about that for a moment. If that, if that is really true, and we believe it, we buy into that, everything rests on the tip of one's motivation. How many of us, thank you, Gitra, how many of us are actually living our life as though it were true? How many of us are really that attuned to our motivations and perhaps even our intentions? Are we that conscious of it, what drives us? Are we really, truly honest with ourselves about what drives us? In fact, I'm just really curious now. Think about it for a moment. Your relationship with your true motivations... And then without judgment, raise your hand if you truly live your life as though that were true. Mm -hmm. So a a, a couple of you. And some maybes. (laughs) That's because, you know, that's that's a big commitment to say, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Hmm. I mean, that's, it's an interesting reflection. It's even more interesting to me when I think about uh, the Buddha's teachings. You know, it seems like when we, when we look at the volumes of texts that are within the Buddhist tradition, um, it seems like the Buddha taught about a lot of things. And there's all these lists, and it, it can be really daunting when we begin to uh, learn the teachings of the Buddha. But if he, when he was asked, what do you teach? The Buddha very simply stated, I teach the truth about suffering and I teach the way to the end of suffering. Period. So even though it seems like he taught about many, many different things, this is really at the heart of it all, what he taught. The truth of suffering. And that truth is that there is suffering. That we suffer. We have stress. We have um, unnecessary uh, agitations. We are unsatisfied. The suffering of, of being unsatisfied with life. 
and how it's going and maybe unsatisfied with ourselves. And this is suffering. And there are different degrees of it, but this is suffering. So that there is suffering in life and that the cause of the suffering is uh, our tendency to cling and to want things other than they are. And basically, because we're not actually living in alignment with the truth of how things are. This means that we cause this type of suffering, that we are at the heart of our own suffering. We are the cause of our own suffering. And so this is the basic teachings of Buddhism. It doesn't matter which tradition you're in, this is part largely part of what we are looking at when we practice. Looking at our own habits in our minds and in our hearts to see, unravel, and unlock this mystery of what is it that I'm doing that's causing this harm? And then what is it that I can do to free myself from it? So that's also what the Buddha taught. So knowing this and then hearing this proverb that everything rests upon the tip of one's motivation. If we can take uh, our personal inventory, if we can take accountability for that and start to look at how is my motivation, what is motivating me, how is it directly connected to my own hardships, my, my suffering, my unsatisfactoriness. I often talk about this suffering as uh, friction, that feeling of coming up against life. It's just not, we're just not in alignment with how things are, this feeling of not quite right. Sometimes it's just this nagging feeling. It's not even this big feeling of, of suffering, but just this kind of nagging something. Something that's just not quite right. Not quite satisfying. So, if we are at the heart of our suffering and our motivation is this important, why aren't we aware of our motivation? Why aren't we looking closely at that? Why don't we live as though that were true, even if that meant that it is a part of the way to relieving the suffering that we have? So I want to explore this a bit this evening. And I want to start this exploration with us getting in tuned with our motivations. And there are, are of course, many motivations, and it depends on what scenario we're in and what the situation is, what uh, part we are playing in the moment. You know, is this our, our work self, our professional self? Is it our uh, parental self? Uh, is this our friend's self, our spiritual self? So there's a lot of different motivations uh, that pop up within even just a day. So it's not that we're trying to dwindle it all down necessarily to one. But I do want us to look underneath the layers of different motivations and see what is truly, um, what are the, at the base of what motivates us? 
Is it fear? Is it a wanting for happiness? More peacefulness? Is it anger? Is it wanting for acceptance? Wanting people to love us or like us? What's really at the base of what motivates us? Can we get in touch with that? So I'd like you to just right now uh, go inside, whatever that means to you. It might be closing your eyes or just relaxing the body a little bit. And see if when asking yourself that question, what, what is at the base of what motivates you? Is it freedom? Is it the promise of true, deep happiness? See what's there. And there might be a, a number of things that arise. It might also be that you draw a complete blank. I have no idea what motivates me. This is really good information too. Maybe it's surprising to you. Oh, it's just, it's survival. It's uh, a sense of self. It's see what's true for you. Okay, and then you can open your eyes, and we're we're now we'll we'll look at this a little bit more. I'd like you to get into some some groups, maybe groups of three or four, and I'd like you to to talk about. It a little bit. We're relational beings, and although often this practice brings us into silence, and um, uh, we're often spending a lot of time just within ourselves, it's actually really important that we hear each other's thoughts. And and um, in this case, we'll be hearing each other's motivations. And this is not about coming up with what you think a spiritual person or a really good. Buddhist uh, should say. (laughs) Rather, this is about being honest with yourself because actually, and I'll talk about this more, being honest with ourself is an extremely important um, part of this practice of being in touch with our deepest motivations. Um, So to to be honest. Uh, And part of this is to be able to say out loud what seems to be true and to be heard. So it's not so much that you'll be um, asking each other a bunch of questions or um, I really would like to caution you from uh, offering unsolicited advice or comments, but rather if you're not the one speaking, to really deeply listen and, and, and be a presence for the person who is speaking, uh, taking that on as its own practice. And then when you are speaking, uh, to see what it's like to to be honest, and um, what is it like to hear yourself state your deepest motivations. Um, so why don't you go ahead and get into groups? Turn to someone next to you. If you need a group, just raise your hand, and and I'll help you find one.
If you see someone who looks like they need a group, invite them in. And you might start, if you haven't already, just introduce yourselves. And then, and then take maybe about a, a minute or so each. So you won't go on and on and on, Make sure, making sure that everyone gets time to speak, but about a minute each. I'm going to let you know just where we are time-wise, and we'll make sure everyone gets to go. Um, but you can begin if that's clear enough. Oh. Raise your hand if your group needs more time. Okay, we'll do a little bit more. Okay, so why don't you thank your group members... And then we'll come back as a larger group. So let's do this. Um, I'd like to hear what what was said, what came out of that. So maybe what we can do is just, um, we'll just get some words into the room. So phrases and words that are basically summing up what is your motivation What's at the core? What's at the base? Yeah, way up upstairs. Happiness. Mm-hmm. Yes. Creativity. Mm-hmm. Freedom. Freedom from suffering. Mm-hmm. Peace of mind and connection, and same thing. Uh huh. Contentment. Helping people. Mm -hmm. Truth. Truth. Understanding. Understanding. Anything else? Resting. Resting. Lovely. Yeah. Resting, acceptance. Mm-hmm. Okay. Safety and the feeling of hope. Home. Mm. Mm-hmm. We did have that tree checked out. It's not bringing down the building. <laughs> it's just rubbing up against the side. Yeah. <laughs> Good to know. Yeah. Well, these are very wholesome motivations. Any anything that felt unwholesome? Uh huh. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Oh, good. Thank you, Jeff. <laughs> Greed. Uh huh. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, that you don't like. There's a part of you that's greedy that you don't like. Mm hmm. Yes. Self preservation. Mm hmm. Coming from fear, sure. Yep. Mm -hmm. Unconscious shopping. (laughs) Yep. Okay. 
Mm, that praise and blame, right? Feeling appreciated and recognized. Yep, uh-huh. One of the worldly wins. Maybe I'll bring that in. Yes. Ambition. Mm-hmm. Anything else? Motivated by insecurity. Yeah. Don't these all just ring true on some level? Wow. It's just human, isn't it? Okay. That, well, that's pretty good. <laughs> we could stop there. They really started flying off when <laughs> once we got into the unwholesome. Lots, <laughs> lots there, huh? Yeah. Yeah, so just survival, perhaps, the natural wanting to extend life. Uh huh. At the same time, there's oppression of um, agency and accepting what is. Mm. And that's sometimes contrary to that, what is said. Yeah. And so there's this quandary about holding both mm. in a subjective way. Yeah, holding our, really, holding the truth of our impermanence and maybe not wanting to let go into that, but then also holding the letting go. Yeah. Yeah. It can be conflicting. Yeah. So there's a lot of motivations. So that's what we're, we're pointing to. And if we're not clear with ourselves, if we're not honest with ourselves, if we're not even bothering to look, which, you know, we're not, we're not really trained to look deeply at our motivations. In fact, if you think about when you were a kid and, um, you know, someone said, well, why did you, why did you throw that? Or um, did you just eat that? Or, you know, whatever it is, your response immediately is, no, <laughs> I didn't do that. You know, so there's there's kind of a training that happens at a young age for preservation, for the sake of not getting in trouble, right? If if you haven't been on YouTube uh, and seen those videos of the the parents who catch their kids after eating something like a big chocolate cupcake or something like that, and they you know so it's you know, maybe a four year old and they've got the chocolate smeared across their face and they will say. Brian, did you eat the chocolate cupcake? And he says, no. <laughs> no, mommy, I didn't. And it's extremely cute, but this is, this is what we grew up doing out of our own preservation for you know, not getting into trouble. And, and then at some level, believing that in ourselves. You know, there's at some level we start to believe in that. And then as we get older... It's more of a preservation, uh, not, maybe not so much to get in trouble, maybe it is, but just a preservation of self, of a sense of who we think we are. And so we start to justify our motivations or, or look over them, or you know, we don't want to look very deeply because we might not like what we find. Oftentimes this is, this is really true. Um, I've been leading a group on Tuesday where we're looking at white privilege. And this has definitely been part of what we're looking at. It's just the motivations that are really um, 
uh, surrounding our uh, racism and white privilege. And, and the not wanting to look at that because, ooh, we don't really want to admit or see that or even maybe have to let go of that if we do see it, right? So there's, there's a lot of honesty and courage and um, uh, perseverance that's needed in order to dig deeply, to look deeply at what is it that's motivating us right now? Now, uh, the proverb that I, that I read is a Tibetan proverb. Uh, in the tradition that I'm in, in Buddhism, the Theravadan tradition, uh, we don't usually use the word motivation. Uh, the Buddha didn't really use the word motivation. He talked more of um, intention, which is a different, it's a different thing, a uh, different manifestation, although they're intrinsically, I believe, connected. Um, the two really do go together. So we can take a look at, at both, our motivation as well as our intention. And having a wise intention or a right intention, according to the Buddha, is one that is not based in fear. It's one that's not based in greed or hatred, ill will. Uh, It's not based in delusion. A lot of our motivations and intentions can be based in delusion or any of these that I've stated. Uh, They're based in really the opposite, a mind that is free of ill will and hatred and uh, delusion and greed and fear. That the roots of these things have been uh, removed in some way or have been acknowledged in some way. We see when those are at the base of our motivation and we don't feed them. We see when the roots of our motivation and intention are actually quite wholesome and we go with that. So that's... um, that's actually a, a part of the path towards liberation, liberating the mind and the heart from the suffering that we started with. It's a really important part of the path. There are eight steps of the path, or our eightfold path. They're not really steps. And we list them as if they're in this list and we're supposed to go through and check each one off. But they're more of a spiral that we are constantly coming back to. They're all connected. It's not that we complete one. I've got pure uh, intention now. I'll move to the next step. But rather, we keep revisiting it and refining our understanding of each one. And so this is what we do with intention we keep coming back to see what is my intention between, be, behind my, my actions, my actions of uh, body, heart, mind. What are my actions uh, being motivated by? A lot of the times we don't stop to actually recognize that. Like I said, we haven't really been trained to look that deeply. 
So we're in a training now that requires that. Now, of course, I think uh, maybe not in, in uh, the Buddhist lineage, but in the mindfulness lineage that has become so popularized now in, in the West, we're looking at mostly mindfulness, and we look at mindfulness of, the, of our thoughts and of our um, body sensations, of hearing, of smelling, perhaps tasting. Um, we can be mindful of our movements. Uh, we can be mindful while we're driving our car. We can be mindful while we are in conversation with someone. But it's not often talked about bringing our mindfulness, our attention to this aspect of intention. What is it that's actually leading before all of these actions are are happening? And so the Buddha talked a lot about this, and he spoke directly to his son, actually, about this. This is one of the teachings to Rahula. So his young son, who at one point ordained as a monk under his father, the Buddha, if you can imagine what that must have been like, <laughs> some big shoes <laughs> to fill. Um, and so the Buddha had uh, actually directly um, uh, taught his son. He was very much involved with the development of his, his son's spiritual life. And so there are a number of teachings that are directly directed to Rahula, and they're really uh, from a father to his son. So there's something um, always very practical and um, I think very personal, the way that he teaches his son. And so one of the teachings to his son is about looking at intention. It's about uh, seeing that we can look at our intention before the action during the action, and after the action. So to be able to catch ourselves before we say what we're about to say or uh, before we hit the send button, I guess that's really more of the reality these days. Um, To be able to catch ourselves before we're in the act of something. And to be able to ask ourselves, is this going to lead to something that is connected to those unwholesome motivations that we spoke about? Is that what it's feeding? Is that what we're supporting in this moment? Or is it supporting the wholesome ones? Think back when we made that list of the wholesome, of happiness, um, of freedom, freedom from suffering, Creativity was one. These are, these are really dear to our heart, aren't they? When we connect with those motivations, how does that feel? It, how does it feel? What, it, what comes to mind? How does that feel? Serenity. Wholeness. A warmth. A warmth in your heart. Yeah. 
These are, these are dear to us. They're really dear to us. This is what we want to feed, truly. The wise, compassionate parts of ourselves understand this very deeply, that these are the motivations that are so much more supportive than the self-preservation and the scared parts of ourselves the greedy parts of ourselves, those deluded parts, the hateful parts of ourselves. When we're connected with that side, it doesn't have the same feeling, does it? There's something much more closed, uh, needy. We're in that survival mode where the other is much more open. It's warm. There's a feeling maybe of of connection, of coming home in some way. Both are right there within us. Both are right there within us. In fact, the Buddha tells a story to his fellow monks about when, before he became the Buddha, and he was practicing and, and trying to figure out his mind. He really wanted to understand it deeply, the habits of his mind. And so he uh, decided on a very clever way of doing this, of actually dividing the different types of thoughts into two categories, which essentially were the wholesome and unwholesome, to see um, if he could really tell why the unwholesome was unwholesome and the wholesome was wholesome. There was no one there telling him, this is good, this is bad. You know, Don't we want that? <laughs> Wouldn't that be great if we just had someone with us all the time saying, no, 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 Kate, that's unwholesome. <laughs> we don't get that. You know, and so of course the Buddha really understood that, and he wanted to be able to be his own guide in that. And in turn, that's what he's teaching us: that we have to learn how to become our own guide, to tell the difference between is this wholesome, is this unwholesome, and we have that ability. You just touched upon it; you just felt it deeply. You know this deeply. It is part of our humanness. The full experience of both is part of our humanness. It's what makes uh, being born in this human form so unique and special is because we do have the ability to tell the difference between the wholesome and the unwholesome, but we have to be looking for it. We have to know to look for it. We have to be willing to look for it. This takes courage and honesty and perseverance. It's why, of course, and we say this probably every week, that this is a practice. It takes us actually being able to look at the parts of ourselves, look at the motivations that are unwholesome and own them to some degree. Not take them on as, uh, oh, just another you know, building block to the self, right? We don't have to identify with it. That's not what I mean by taking ownership of it. You know what, do you know what I mean? So the difference being, you know, let's say that you just did something really awful. You said something that was really hateful in a moment of anger and fear. 
maybe even to someone you really care about. And you just keep replaying that over and over and over. And you realize on some level that was really unwholesome. It was motivated by fear and anger and hatred and maybe insecurity, right? So you can do one of two things. You can take that on as, I'm a really horrible, insecure, horrible, hateful person, and wear that badge. <laughs> do you, you know what I mean? Do you wear a badge every now and then? Even if those badges that you know, you're not proud of, but somehow we take it on like, I guess this is my identity now. I guess that's who I am. Totally unnecessary. Instead, by owning it, meaning, yeah, this is, this is a part of my reality. I have this motivation within me. It's hateful. It's deluded. And I see that it's unwholesome. And then using that to inspire your next intention, which is, I don't ever want to do that again. I want to catch myself next time. My intention is not to act from that place again. And of course, you probably will. But again, you reapply it. It's not that this is about feeling defeated. It's about being consistent, being really brave to stay with it. Oh, damn it. There it is again. Okay, I intend right now never to do this again. And the more and more we can do that and actually see that when we are wrong and we know it, when we catch ourselves doing something that's really unwholesome, even if it's, it might be years later in retrospect, now I understand that was really deluded of me. Even then, they, you are feeding a future of less harm towards yourself and towards others. You are feeding in that moment intentions that can carry you towards more freedom in your mind and your heart and less suffering. And so I guess what I'm trying to point to is the importance of this staying present with our intentions in a way that is not superficial. But to really look closely and honestly at what is truly there. Because so often uh, it's delusion that prevents us from seeing these things closely, you know, really being able to look at what is there, we need sometimes more than just ourselves. We need to be surrounded by people who really are wise and care about us and can be honest with us. We need to be surrounded by sangha. Needing to um, uh, have uh, teachers and teachings to help us really look closely where we may not even know to look. You know, we, we, we don't know what we don't know, right? It's the nature of delusion. The nature of delusion is to be deluded about what we know. That's really hard to get through and see clearly. And so we need each other often to help 
see, see things as they are. So often we come and we sit and we practice and we're doing it in silence and we're doing it perhaps in this either very stoic way or very true way. Sometimes we come and we just start trying to not move and that's as good as we can do. Sometimes we come and we feel like we've got it all figured out and that person next to us who's so restless, oh, poor them. (laughs) We're not necessarily connecting with each other and supporting each other. We might not even be looking to be supported. We just come and we sit and practice and go home. And it's incredibly important that we reach out to each other, that we do this with each other. Without it, uh, we'll never see our blind spots. Or we might, but it'll certainly take a lot longer. We need each other to point out our, our blind spots. Sometimes um, in Sangha, the way it works is that it's the difficult person in the group that ends up being uh, the one who awakens us all. So even if they're not directly pointing out our blind spots, It's uh, people in community who rub up against our sense of self and challenge our, uh, our, our greediness or challenge our frustrations and our anger and hatred. Um, they're the ones that end up being some of the, the, the most blessed people in our community because they, in turn, point out, oh, there's more work to be done here. I see it. There's some story, I think it's in the Zen tradition, of uh, a group of monks. Uh, the abbot was away, and during that time, the most difficult person in the community was, was kicked out by the other members because he wasn't liked, and he was trouble, and he made everyone feel uncomfortable or made everybody agitated, and, and he was just difficult. And when the abbot came back and heard what they had done, he was furious and said, go get him, bring him back. Everybody needs him so much. He's actually the one who will lead you to awakening, not me. He is your teacher. (laughs) And so we need that in order to see truly what is behind our motivations. We can't hide so well behind our... um, idea of our spiritualness. Uh, sometimes there's that veil that's sometimes the problem with spirituality. There's that veil of identity around being a spiritual person or being a really good person. And in turn, not actually looking deeply. You know, that might be true, but then what else is there underneath it all? So um, I think I'll just stop there. And I'd love to hear if you have any questions or comments on, on this theme of motivation and intention. And we can just pass the mic around if you have any. Yeah. Thank you. Let's just make sure it works. Great. Um. I had a situation today where um, my um, my motivations and intentions came to the forefront in, in interaction with somebody else, and I had made a, a gesture uh, uh, to redefine a relationship 
that there had been space with to now bring up a friendship. Mm-hmm. And um, when I opened myself up to make this invitation, what I got back was a challenge of my motivation. Mm. And it was painful. It mm. was very, very painful. Um, and I, f- I find motivation for me, motivation tend to be very private and very personal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was not feeling seen, that was for sure, in that yeah. situation. Yeah. Yeah. But um, so it's, it's interesting because we're talking about the quality of it and our relation to it. But when it's, it's shared outside of ourselves, mm-hmm. um, it's, a, it's a, I guess, a great gift when one shares it with you. Mm-hmm. Um, but it could also cause much pain when it's um, yeah. not held in the same respect as I might hold it for myself. Yeah, so I yeah. can hear just the vulnerability of it. Yeah. Yeah, and what you're sharing. And, you know, sometimes that can be because our motivations are mixed. And I don't know that this was true for you, but sometimes uh, that's what I find in myself when my motivation is challenged and I am not steady in what I know to be true, oftentimes in that lack of steadiness in my intention or motivation is a a mindfulness bell that can go off saying, yeah, you know, there's the part of the motivation that's really wholesome, but perhaps there's something in there that's not so wholesome too because they can be very mixed. And, and when that happens, um, yeah, we can feel kind of defensive or, you know, all of a sudden doubtful or unseen for the good part, you know. And um, I don't know that this is true, it was true for you, but I, it just reminds me of that, that um, sometimes when that happens, it's a call to look deeper and see what is it that I'm not able to just say, no, that's not true. This is my intention. This is my motivation and feel really solid and secure in that. Usually it's because there's something kind of muckying the water. Yeah. Well, after, after that occasion, I, 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 re- I had my reaction, which I kept to myself and <laughs> took some, a good amount of time. And then I came back to revisit it. And I was, I was able to articulate myself in a way where I felt very good about it. It lended yeah. clarity to myself. Mm. Um, but I hadn't, I, what I hadn't given to myself before that was that opportunity to articulate myself. Uh-huh. I just made an overture without a preamble to it. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. So it was that, the lesson for me there was maybe to, to have a larger story mm. with, uh, with when, when making a share of a request that way. Mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. to put what my motivation is out there very clearly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Great. Thank you. Anything else? I was wondering if you could speak to meeting any of the unwholesomeness with compassion. Uh-huh. Great. Unwholesomeness with compassion. It's really our only option (laughs) when you think about it. Maybe with humor, too. Otherwise, we do, we become wounded again when we see these parts of ourselves. And really, what happens is we identify with it. You know, we put on that badge of I'm bad or whatever the story is. 
And um, we end up wounding ourselves further. We find ourselves further into fear and hatred and delusion and greed and all of those habits. They just keep rolling on and maybe taking new forms. But um, if we can bring an attention to it that is kind and in, in many ways accepting, this is part of uh, owning it, is being able to accept this is, this is here, but doing it from a place that um, carries that, that other side, that, that wholesomeness, that warmth of heart, uh, the, the, the intention for wholeness, uh, the feeling of, of coming home, you know, we can use that, that side of ourselves to hold the unwholesome side uh, with deep compassion. You know, seeing it for what it is, which is suffering. When we see it as, oh, this is suffering. If you saw someone who was suffering as much as you in that moment and you cared about them, you would hold them with compassion because there's just no other option. You know, so maybe um, some practical advice around that for when we can't. You know, because sometimes our habits are so deep that we we just throw that badge on and we keep going, um, or we we get into a cycle of um, uh, self hatred or self blaming or whatever it is. I think sometimes it's really helpful to hold the story itself that we've created from those unwholesome motivations. Uh, Sometimes they're more tangible. Like, oh, I'm so undeserving. Or, I'm such a bad person. Seeing if we can catch those storylines that are born out of that unwholesomeness. Sometimes that in itself, if we can catch that and see what are the stories we're telling ourselves and then bringing it into our practice. It might actually mean stopping physically. It might mean taking a deep breath. It might mean taking a hand and putting it to your heart. It might mean saying to yourself, oh, honey, this is suffering. It's okay. It's just, this is just suffering. Or this is just uh, my pattern. Or this is that nagging thought that I don't want to believe in anymore. I don't have to believe in anymore. And in some way, bring that kindness of heart back to yourself, which is something that we're all capable of. It just might mean that we uh, need to practice in it, you know, train our mind to actually believe that, which, again, is its own practice, but one that would certainly support, uh, support us when we see the unwholesome. And then I will say that over time, once when a heart has really been cultivated to see it in this way, it does turn into something that um, uh, automatically leads to compassion or humor, to see just the ridiculousness of uh, the unwholesome. When we can see just, oh my God, I'm doing it again, and see it in this lighter way than perhaps we were holding it before. Um, to see that it's just a habit 
that it's not based in any real reality necessarily. Um, I'm a student of nonviolent communication as well, and Mm. so on occasion I think there is a confluence of an unmet need that might manifest in something that would be considered unwholesome. Mm -hmm. And the the only uh, teaching so far that I've come across is when Thich Nhat Hanh refers it to either an uncooked potato or a baby. (laughs) I wouldn't necessarily leave the baby um, out crying and mm-hmm. not attend to that. Mm. So I appreciate what you're saying is, you know, just slap the badge on and, and deal with it when you can. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. <laughs> I don't want to blast anyone. Um, so it gets really tricky because we, as you uh, shared, with, it reminded us that we're creatures of relation. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think what I've been encountering is that we're, we're, I think we're all kind of on autopilot meeting our own needs. Mm-hmm. The, the, the way technology is leading us, so you can, you can check a website or you can, you know, fill out a form or, or something like that. And it's, um, not working so well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it, it's, it's tricky because some in the mindfulness practice, you know, kind of nonviolent communication is in its own category. Um, but I think it takes some practice being compassionate with our own unmet needs before we can see that and respond compassionately to others. Mm-hmm. Um, many of us just were not raised in a compassionate environment mm-hmm. where any of this was validated in the first place. So yeah. um, we're just now developing a vocabulary to understand just even what what that feeling or or just how, how to even label it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it, it's, it's challenging when it's divided in two categories of either, uh, but, I, but something came to mind when, when I was just contemplating the word wholesome. Wholesome means like integrated whole, mm-hmm. and it, it, that the good and the bad is all together, that, mm-hmm. that there isn't, it maybe doesn't have to be um, a polar opposite of one another, mm-hmm. but... Maybe there's just a, a a non-integrated piece to that. So I <laughs> there's some so there's real truth to what you're saying. In fact, um, uh, a large part of the Buddha's teachings is uh, that there's the dukkha that leads to more dukkha, which is you could say the feeding of the unwholesome, the believing in the unwholesome and allowing that to be your motivation, and that leads to more unwholesome. It leads to more dukkha, the dukkha that leads to more dukkha. And then there's the dukkha that leads to freedom. And that freedom is not separate from the dukkha in this way. What are we freeing ourselves from? We're freeing ourselves from dukkha. That means we have to go to the dukkha. <laughs> we have to be compassionate with it. We have to um, allow it to be part of the fold. It's part of the whole. It's right. And it's when we truly understand that relationship, when we truly understand what it is and how we are playing the part in creating it, truly understand that, that's when the freedom arises. Yeah. Thank you. So we have to stop here.
Um, we'll dedicate the merit. And I have a few dedication cards here. Okay. So when we dedicate the merit, we take a moment to recognize that we come here perhaps in this practice to better ourselves, to better understand ourselves, to look for our own personal freedom. But in doing so, in practicing in this way and listening to the Dharma in this way, we're actually engaged in something quite wholesome. And when we are engaged in something wholesome, when our actions are wholesome, it has a ripple effect in the world. It affects the people who are closest to us, the people we interact with. It even goes beyond that. So we dedicate our practice and our time here together not just to ourselves, but to all beings. And so hoping that the, um, the ripple effects of the wholesomeness from our practice and our cultivation here this evening is for the benefit of all beings everywhere. May all beings be safe from inner and outer harm. May all beings be happy and content. May all beings be healthy in their mind and in their body. May all beings be free. May we all be free. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.